Amen. Well, there are Bibles on the bookshelf by the elevator and sermon transcript notes, if English is not your first language. If you've been joining us for any amount of time, uh, we are going through the Gospels in chronological order. But last week we were in John's Gospel and we started John chapter 10, covering verses 1 through 21. And Jesus, he taught a really amazing message. And he taught that he is the Good Shepherd. He also taught, though, that within the fold of God, there are many thieves and robbers who try to come in to try to dismay the sheep, to try to to feed false teaching to the sheep. And right, so there was a warning involved in the teaching of Jesus. But it was an amazing teaching. And at this point in Jesus' life, he's quickly nearing his crucifixion. I mean, we're, we're weeks out now from his crucifixion. It's coming soon. And if you've noticed in Jesus lately, he's been very bold in his message. Jesus has not been holding back. He's been sharing everything that he can in a very bold and passionate way. And the last that we saw in verses 19 through 21 of John 10, the people were perplexed about Jesus. Half were, they were divided. Half thought that he was demon possessed and that he was mad. And the others thought that he was from God. And at this point in time, the religious leaders have attempted to stone him, arrest him, and put him to death on a number of occasions. So today we're going to pick it up where we left off in John chapter 10. So turn with me in your Bibles to John 10. And we're going to start today in verse 22. So if you're following along, John chapter 10, let's go ahead and look at verses 22 through 23. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Okay, so we're told first and foremost that it's the Feast of Dedication. Now, don't get this confused with the Feast of Tabernacles, which we saw the Jews celebrating in John chapter 8. This is different. This is what we would call today as Hanukkah. And they celebrate this because back in the 160s BC, there was a Greek king over Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he came seeking to destroy the Jewish people. And he caused a revolt. And during this time, he raided the temple, He introduced the worship of Zeus in the Jewish temple. He sacrificed pigs on their altar, which is a big abomination. He outlawed circumcision. He sold many Jews into captivity, and he killed many. This is not a pleasant man. But the Jews rose up in what was called the Maccabean Revolt, in which the Jews overthrew Epiphanes, and they cleansed the temple. And as tradition goes, they found in the temple sealed oil that was not defiled in the raid. And they used that oil to light the lamps, which signified God's presence. And though there was only enough for a day, tradition says it lasted miraculously for eight days, signifying God's presence until new oil was going to be made. So this is what they're celebrating here in this verse. Now, Jesus was walking in Solomon's porch. Now, this was a covered area constructed in the temple grounds. And I just have to point out immediately, notice the boldness of Jesus. He had just recently almost been stoned and arrested, and here Jesus is in the most public of places in the temple. He's not afraid. He's not timid. He continues to minister with boldness. And it gets a great picture for us, right, of what is required of us as Christians, boldness. Not being afraid to share the truth, no matter what's at stake. Jesus had a lot at stake. Now, obviously, we know he's God. Nothing was going to happen outside his plan, but still he was bold going into this very public place where his adversaries, the Jewish religious leaders, were gathered together. But he was bold. Let's continue and see what happens next in verse 24. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? 
If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, there's a couple of things that we want to note in this verse. We see the Jewish religious leaders, and my translation says the Jews, but this is referring to the religious leaders. The religious leaders surround Jesus in this Solomon's porch within the temple. Now, upon surrounding Jesus here, there was no way to escape if you were Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders, they ambushed him. This wasn't pleasant. They weren't just gathering around to hear him. This was very much intentional. And they were seeking to trap Jesus. They had bad intentions for him. Now, what I find fascinating about this is they're surrounding him in Solomon's porch. This area, they want to stamp out the name of Jesus, but it's in this very place in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, that the, the early church would meet together for worship of Jesus. So in this very place where the Jewish religious leaders are seeking to stamp out the name of Jesus, in this same place, the early church is going to gather together to worship the name of Jesus. And it just shows us an amazing picture of the God that we serve. He is so much more powerful than man and than any power in this world. And what man intended for evil here, God intended for good. And he's going to use this, and the early church is going to meet here. And when I was reading this, I just got convicted. It's time for us to fix our eyes back on this God that we serve, this powerful God that we serve, this God who can take ashes and make beauty out of them, this God who can take what man intends for evil and turn it for good. It's time that we start to remember that our God is the conquering King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do we live our lives knowing how powerful Christ is? Do we trust Him that He's able to take the situations that we're in in our lives and use it for our good and for His glory? Which brings us to the next point. Jesus was surrounded. What is it in your life that's surrounding you today? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's shame. Maybe you didn't even want to come here today because you're ashamed of what you've done this week. You're ashamed to come in the presence of other believers. Ashamed to come before God. But you have no reason to be ashamed because Christ loves you. And so what situation are you dealing with right now? Maybe it's circumstances you're walking through. And even though Christ was surrounded, He was going to use this. And though you might be walking through difficulties right now in your life, Christ can very much work in those situations, and He is. And you can use them for our good and for His glory. Now the second thing we want to point out in verse 24 is that religious leaders claim Jesus is keeping them in doubt. They say, just tell us who you are. Why are you keeping us wondering? Who are you? Now, why would they ask this? They know exactly who Jesus was, who he claimed to be at least. They knew exactly what Jesus said of himself. The religious leaders have heard many teachings of Jesus. Jesus had already stated that he was the Son of God in John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda. He already claimed that he was the good shepherd, the bread of life. He said in John 5 that he's the one that brings life. He said he was the fulfillment of the law. And here he is right in front of these religious leaders fulfilling the prophecies made regarding the Messiah right in front of them. They knew exactly who Christ claimed to be. But they couldn't take him at his word. And they couldn't take Christ at his word because of the unbelief and the doubt that was in their heart. And they kept trying to justify their unbelief, kept trying to justify their doubts by claiming that Christ would not give them an answer, even though he already did. Right? They justified their doubt by saying, you just won't tell us, you just won't speak to us. They weren't taking him at his word. And it's really easy when we read Scripture to look at the disciples, a bunch of knuckleheads, right? 
it's easy to look at the religious leaders, a bunch of failures. I mean, how could they miss what was right in front of them? And it's easy to judge these people, but how oftentimes do we do the same thing? And I'm not saying that we deny who Christ is, but many times we refuse to take Him at His word. And these religious leaders, they couldn't take Christ at His word. How many times do we do the same thing? Not taking Christ at His word. Trying to justify unbelief and doubt in our hearts by claiming that Christ will not speak to us. There's many Christians today who say that the Lord won't speak to them, yet they refuse to open up the Bible. They refuse to be in the Word of God. Churches that want to have a Word of God spoken to them, and yet they don't even open the Word up as they gather together. And somehow, in the church today, it's very common for the Word of God to be put on the back burner, and then the church says, well, God's not speaking to us. Well, have you been in the Word? Many claim Christ will not speak and they won't take Him at His word because they, they just neglect it. But Jesus had already spoke to these religious leaders. He already answered them before. And maybe you're in here and you have questions that you've been asking the Lord and maybe He's already answered you just like He already answered these religious leaders. That happens quite frequently, doesn't it? Where we have something that we bring before the Lord and we say, God, will you speak to me? And God, many times, He gives us one of three answers. yes. No, or wait. But sometimes we don't like the answer, no, do we? And so we say, okay, you might have said no, but Lord, you couldn't have possibly meant that. Let's take Moses, for example. When Moses misrepresented God, he said, Moses, you're not going in the promised land. You're not leading these people. The answer was no. Well, then we see Moses nearing the end of his life, and he said, Lord, that land is flowing with Moses. If I could just step in, and the Lord's like, no. I already told you, no. And so maybe you're in here today and you've been praying about something and maybe you just haven't been content with his answer. You have to be very careful that you don't allow doubt to settle in your heart instead of faith. And that's what we were seeing with these religious leaders, doubt and unbelief and a lack of faith. So let's see what Jesus replies in verses 25 through 26. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. So Jesus replies and he tells them, I already told you, but you don't believe. Jesus knew this issue in their hearts. It wouldn't be resolved if Jesus just clearly said that he was the Son of God. These religious leaders weren't interested in having faith in him. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to put him to death. They had envy toward him. And Jesus had told these religious leaders, the works that I've done, they bear witness of who I am. And at this point in time, Jesus has done what only he could do. He raised the dead back to life. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the sick. Just in John chapter 9, we were in there a couple weeks ago. The blind man said, has it ever been heard of before that a man born blind regained his sight? This man has to be of God. The works that Jesus did clearly testified and bore witness of who he was. He cast out demons and he did all these things with authority. And if these religious leaders were truly interested in faith, they needed only to look at the works that Christ was doing. But their doubt and their unbelief kept them from seeing the mighty working of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Their doubt and their unbelief kept them from seeing what Jesus was doing. And Jesus, he said, just look at what I've done. And again, an application for us, if we're not careful, doubt and unbelief can keep us from seeing what Christ is trying to do in and through our lives and in the ministries that he's called us to. 
And it's easy to look at this world, this dark and this evil world, and to think that Christ is not working. And we have all this doubt and unbelief that Christ can truly bring change to this dark world, but He is working within it. And if we allow that doubt to stay in our hearts, Satan will use that to blind us to what Christ is trying to do. And so what's the remedy for doubt? What Jesus told the religious leaders. Remember, look at what I've done. And maybe you're in here today and your faith is not where it should be. Your walk with Christ is not where it should be. You've been doubting. You've been falling short. And maybe you just need to go back and you need to reflect on what Christ has done for you. You need to remember the mighty works that He's done in your life and through your life. What He saved and delivered you from. Now we also see here in verse 26 that Jesus says, you do not believe because you're not of my sheep, as I said to you. That's a pretty scary statement Jesus makes, isn't it? You're not of my sheep. Jesus knows those that are His and He knows that those that are not His. Jesus knows everything that's within our hearts. He knows those who are truly followers and believers in Christ and He knows those who are not. There's no middle fence. There's no middle line. You are, have faith in Christ or you don't. You are saved or you're unsaved. There's no gray. There's no in-between. And Christ knows those who are His and those who are not. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've been you know, on that line in in that middle, on that fence, thinking that, well, maybe I'll believe in Christ, but I want to live the way that I want to live. You need to choose. Jesus or this world. Those are the only two options. But Jesus knew who were His and who were not. And He said in verse 26, you are not my sheep. Now, Jesus was not saying that these religious leaders could not be saved. That's not what He's saying. And you have to remember even though Jesus is rebuking these religious leaders, He's ministering to them. I, I think we kind of lose sight of that sometimes. If Jesus was not interested in these religious leaders, He wouldn't be here. But He was trying to minister to even the oppressors. And so Jesus was not saying these religious leaders could not be saved. He was saying because they did not follow Him and because they refused to put their faith in Him, they're not a sheep and they don't believe. And last week, this is paralleling nicely with what Jesus just taught and we looked at last week. Jesus taught how He's the shepherd. And if we want to become a part of His fold and a part of His sheep, we need to enter through the door. And who is the door? It's Jesus. If you want to be a child of God, if you want to have eternal life and forgiveness, if you want to have salvation, it's only through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the doors. He said, I am the door. And if you want to be a part of the fold of the family of God, it's salvation through Jesus Christ and Him only. So you get verses 27 through 29. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. Church, what's our reaction when we read this? Because when we read these verses, our heart should be overflowing with joy. We shouldn't be able to contain the joy inside of us when we read these verses because these are beautiful and amazing verses for us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How many times have we read these verses and we just glance over them? How easy is it to lose the joy of our salvation? What we just read in these verses is that Christ knows us. He loves us. We're a part of His family. We've been given eternal life in Him. And the God that we serve is greater than all. This should be how we, this should be demonstrated in the way that we live our lives each and every day. 
And no one can take us from the hand of God because the God that we serve is that mighty. These are beautiful verses. And in verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. I know my sheep. And for us as Christians in here, we are, we are these sheep. We're part of Christ's flock. And I love how Pastor Aaron mentioned it last week, how sheep are not intelligent creatures. And I love how we get likened to sheep. I don't know if you've ever watched this video. There's a viral video of this sheep that he just runs right into a ditch head first. The shepherd comes, lifts him out. The sheep takes two steps and he does it again. Sheep are not intelligent creatures. And without a shepherd, they're going to die. They're dependent. And just like sheep, we're dependent people. And how many times do we do the same thing? We get ourselves in, in a mess and God delivers us. And then we, and we go do it again. We're the sheep if we've placed our, our trust in Jesus. But what's so amazing is He knows us. This word knows in the Greek language, it's an amazing word. And it means to fully understand, to be completely aware of, and to be completely sure And this is how Christ knows us. He fully understands us, fully is aware of us, and is fully sure of us. He knows us completely. He's fully aware of everything within our hearts. He's very aware of our problems and our hardships. He's fully aware of our sins and the hidden things of our hearts. And He still loves us. Psalm 139, verses 1-4, through David wrote this. He said, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, You know it all together. This is the God that we serve. A personal, intimate God. You know, we were singing it in the songs, but He loves us. He knows us. He loves us. And I believe this is for someone in here today. God very much sees what you are walking through right now and He's very much aware of it and He's walking through it with you. He's fully aware of the hardships that you're walking through. He knows you and He knows where you're at. And maybe you feel like you've been alone lately. You're not alone. Because Christ knows you and He's with you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, Christ loves you. He died on the cross for you. And He wants you to become a part of this fold, to be His sheep. And He does know you. But you need to put your faith and trust in Him. Now notice what else Jesus says in verse 27. He said, My sheep hear My voice, I know them, and they follow Me. So he said, my sheep don't just listen to me, they listen and they follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus daily? Well, the word follow here in the Greek language, it actually interprets to mean to become a disciple. That's what this word means. So what does discipleship look like each and every day? Well, discipleship requires a fully committed life. Discipleship requires trust. Discipleship requires the willingness to give up whatever is required of us. A disciple's not above their master. If Christ loves, forgives, and shows mercy, then we should too. If Christ ministered to the oppressed and the oppressor, so should we. We should be striving to see the world through Christ's eyes and be loving people the way that He loves them. Just take a look back this week, and this is not out of judgment, but it's good to do this. Take a look back this week. Were you living a life that was following Jesus completely this week? How did your discipleship look like this past week? Were you fully committed? Were you loving people? Or were you ministering with people and then you're just like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. These people are annoying. God, these people, I can't love these people. 
What does your heart look like this week? Jesus said, my sheep hear me and they follow me. What's required of us is commitment, a committed life to Christ and to following Him. And look, being a disciple is not easy, it's hard. And it requires a constant laying down of pride and exposure to God's presence each day. Well, what else? In verse 28, Jesus, he, he shows us the result of those who are His sheep. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now, Jesus gives to those who belong to Him eternal life. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus does not say that He gives eternal life to those who earn it. I don't give eternal life to those who deserve it. No, He just gives eternal life. Well, and what a contrast to what the religions of this world teach. We don't earn our salvation. We never could. Salvation's a free gift from God. And it shows what a loving, what a gracious God that we serve. No strings attached. He just wants our hearts. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, God's just after your heart. That's all He wants. He just wants your heart. And if you are a Christian, He wants the same thing. He wants your heart. And so what in your heart have you been holding back from Him? But He gives us eternal life, and it's a free gift. Not dependent on our works, but offered through the grace of God. He also says that neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. This is amazing. Our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. In verse 29, Jesus says this. This is an amazing statement. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And what Jesus was saying is He is more powerful than anyone else. God is so much greater than all peoples, powers, authorities, governments, principalities, demonic forces, sickness, persecutions. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve as we go out to minister, and this is the God who has saved us. Let me ask you, do you worship God in this way, understanding that He is greater than all? Do you serve Him each day knowing that He is the greatest of all? That He is more powerful than anything and anyone else? Because many times we allow circumstances to define how we live our lives and how we minister. We allow sickness to define how we live and minister. We define persecution with how we, we live or minister instead of living and ministering based on who God is. Worshiping Him based upon who He is. He is the great God. The great God who formed all things. The one who's more powerful than anyone. Church, when is the last time we worship God in this way? Have we lost our enthusiasm for how great our God is? Have we lost sight of how amazing He is? How powerful He is? Do we worship Him the way we're called to worship Him? Because the power of God should affect the way that we live our lives and the way that we minister. Let's look at verses 30-33. through 33. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of the, those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Wow. So things have escalated quickly, haven't they? Remember, Jesus is surrounded. And again, you have to commend the boldness of Jesus. Jesus, he, he, he knew making a statement of this magnitude, it was going to ruffle some feathers, wasn't it? But Jesus was bold to speak the truth that he was going to share. And verse 30 is truly an amazing verse, and this verse has such powerful implications. When he says, I and my Father are one, he's claiming oneness with the Father, and this is incredibly important because he is making known his deity. Jesus is God. And when the religious leaders heard this, they weren't thinking, what does he mean by that? 
They knew exactly what he meant. Look at their reaction in verse 33. They knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said that he was one with the Father. He was claiming his lordship and his deity. He was claiming to be God. And as Jesus was teaching last week in John 10 about those thieves and robbers trying to come into the fold with false teaching, how applicable is it to bring that up now? Because there are many today who say that Jesus is not God. And these are false teachers. And we can have some disagreements over some things, but then there's some things we can't have disagreements over. The deity of Jesus Christ is one of those things. He's God. He makes it clear. And one day we're going to face Him. We're going to face Him not as a great teacher, not as a servant. We're going to face Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're going to face Him for who He is. He is God. And so let me ask you this. Do we worship Jesus knowing who He is, knowing that He is God? We sang it in the first song. We'll worship you for who you are. Well, Jesus is God. And this is who we need to worship Him as. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15-16 through 16 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. This is the Jesus we serve. And He is the Lord. He is God. And the religious leaders, again, they knew exactly what he meant with such a statement. And Jesus has no rival and no equal. He is the Lord. And if he is God, then that means he is separate from everything else in this world. And we need to be serving him knowing that he is the Lord. And so the religious leaders, they don't take kindly to this. They take up stones. They want to stone him. They say, this man's blaspheming. They begin another assassination attempt. So let's see what Jesus responds. Because he told them what... I've done good works. Why are you stoning me? And they said, well, you're blaspheming. That's why we're stoning you. So let's see how Jesus responds to this in verses 34 through 39. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Now, maybe you read these verses and maybe you're scratching your head. What is going on? What does Jesus mean here when he brings this up? Is Jesus saying that we're all gods? No, 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 no. Let's break down what Jesus is saying. And first thing to notice is Jesus reasons with these religious leaders by taking them to the Word of God. And that's a great example for us. He reasons with them by taking them to the Word of God. Jesus knew the Scripture so well that He was ready at any given time to give a defense for the truth that He shared. And the Bible makes it clear that we're called to do the same. We're called to be ready in season and out of season. Always ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is within us. How well versed are you in the Scriptures? And we share this a lot with with the ethnic churches because they're, they're just different culturally. This Bible is not just for a pastor or a teacher. It's for you, the church. And it's for us as the church to know. This isn't for a man to know. This isn't for a group. This is for all of us as Christians to know. And we should be in it daily, knowing what it says. And I want you to notice that this is not the first time that Jesus has done this with taking the religious leaders back to the Old Testament and back to the Scriptures. And Jesus, He quotes Psalm 82 here. And the context of Psalm 82 is that rulers were appointed by God and they were called to be impartial. 
And they were called to rule in integrity and justice. And this title of gods in the Hebrew language was given to these people because they exercised authority. It wasn't saying that these people are gods in divinity or in deity. No, it was just a name that was given to these people because they exercised authority as rulers. And the reason, one of the reasons Jesus mentions these verses is because he's actually rebuking the religious leaders on hypocrisy. Because the hypocrisy is this. The religious leaders were not well-versed in this at all. They were very shallow in their knowledge of the Scripture in this area. And so for Jesus to say, well, God said this. He said of mere men that they were gods. So how am I blaspheming by saying I'm the Son of God? He was showing them they're, they're very shallow in what they know. And so it's very important to note here the historical context as well of this statement. Whenever the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they debated with people, they would use scriptures rhetorically and very in a very complex way so that they wouldn't quite understand it. And I think it's amazing. Jesus is using their tactic against them with the scripture. That's pretty amazing. And this isn't the only time Jesus did this. If you remember back when the religious leaders were accusing Jesus of healing someone on the Sabbath and breaking the Sabbath, Jesus brought up the law. He says, well, the law says that your sons need to be circumcised on the eighth day, and sometimes the eighth day falls on a Sabbath. So why are you accusing me of breaking the Sabbath? Don't you break the Sabbath when you circumcise your son? He also brought this up, mentioning David and how David called God the Lord. But he also called him his son because Christ is the son of David. And so Jesus was using this tactic against the religious leaders. This is a tactic they were very accustomed to using. But Jesus' point here was saying, look, God ascribed this name and this title for these mere men who are sinful in nature. And I've done nothing but good works. I am pure and I call myself the son of God and you want to stone me because you're saying that I'm blaspheming? He was showing the hypocrisy in what the religious leaders actually knew. And I think it's important to note, Jesus is not trying to sweep his statement under the rug. He's not trying to say, well, I'm God, but so is everyone else. That's not what he's saying. He's just dismantling the religious leaders in their argument. And this scripture in John 10 and Psalm 82 can easily be taken out of context and be used to promote false teaching and heresy. As a matter of fact, the Mormons are notorious for doing this with these exact verses. Because the Mormons believe that one day we will all be gods in divinity and in the deity, and that's not true. And so church, guard yourself against false teaching and false teachers. Right? Many people will take this Scripture out of context. We know that there is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was merely making a point to show the hypocrisy in the religious leaders' hearts. But Jesus said He was sanctified and sent by the Father. Now the word sanctified here in the Greek language, it means to be separated and hallowed. It means to be holy and pure. And again, this is who Jesus is making Himself out to be. This is the Jesus that we serve. He is separate from all others. There is no God but the one that we serve. He is holy and He is pure. And this is the Jesus we serve. Last thing to note, and then we'll move on. I want you to notice what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, the Scripture cannot be broken. This is an amazing statement in and of itself. Within Jesus saying the Scripture cannot be broken, He is stating the Word of God is powerful. It's living. It's infallible. It is the infallible Word of God. And therefore, if this is the infallible and holy Word of God, then we should be in it and we should be emphasizing the Word of God as we go out to minister. 
When we gather together as a church, we gather for fellowship, we gather for worship, but we gather to study the Word of God. The emphasis needs to be on God's Word. Good intentions aren't going to save people. The Word of God will. And so we need to put our emphasis on the Word of God. And one of the greatest needs today is the teaching of the Word of God. Let's look at verses 40-42. through 42. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. So Jesus escaped, right? It wasn't his time yet. He's sovereign, and his time had not yet come. He escapes from this assassination attempt. And Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he goes beyond the Jordan and stays there. Now, there's a couple things that are just really neat, really beautiful and amazing things here. First is the people in that area beyond the Jordan where John the Baptist was ministering when he was alive, they say, John didn't do any signs or miracles, but everything that he said regarding Jesus is true. This is amazing because signs and wonders, they absolutely exist today, and I believe God uses them. I'm not in denial of that. But the power is not in those things. The power is in sharing Jesus. The power is in the name of Jesus. These people believed without seeing signs, without seeing wonders, they heard about Jesus and they saw that it was true and they believed in Him. And I'm not trying to discredit signs and wonders. I believe God uses them. I believe they're powerful tools that God uses. But the emphasis needs to be on sharing Jesus. These people didn't need a sign to believe they needed to hear about Jesus. Church, the people of this city need to hear about Jesus. The lost people of this nation need to hear about Jesus. And so again, are we going out there and are we sharing about Jesus? And last thing to note here, in the light of this assassination attempt Christ just encountered in Jerusalem, this chapter ends on a really high note in verse 42. It says, and many believed in Jesus there. Despite the darkness in Jerusalem, God was still working. Despite the opposition Christ faced, God was still working. And despite the darkness in this world and in this city, God is working right here in this city and He's working in this world. And we can see a resurgence of revival and that's why we pray. We need to be praying for revival because God is working even in the midst of all the evil that we see in this world. And this is, a, this is something that we share with our Myanmar brothers and sisters as well. Despite everything that's going on in your country, God is working. And it's hard to see at times, but Jesus is working. And so for us as the church, let's not be focused on all of the darkness. Let's be focused on our powerful God who can overcome the darkness. And let's not miss what God is doing in our lives and in this city. So I'll wrap up with this, and then we're actually going to partake in communion together. Today we wrapped up John 10, and we saw Jesus. He was trapped by the religious leaders. And Jesus spoke to them of who He truly was, and He, he told them who His sheep are. He knows who are His. And he told them exactly who he was. He is God. And for us as Christians, we need to worship Jesus for who he is. And we need to be living in the power of who he is. He is the Lord. And he is greater and more powerful than anything. And God is very much at work in this world. And our eyes should be fixed upon what God is able to do. And lastly, there is so much power in sharing Jesus. John the Baptist, he just shared about Jesus. He didn't do any big sign or some big wonder. He just told people, this is the one. This is the coming one. This is Jesus. And many believed. What do you have to offer when you go out and you share Jesus? You have everything to offer. It's not about what qualifications we have. It's not about what language we speak. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have everything to offer this world.
So don't be afraid or timid. Go out and shine brightly for Jesus and tell others about Him. So as we partake in communion now, as the communion elements are going to be passed out here, communion is an act that we are commanded to do in Scripture. And communion is an act for the believer. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, the Bible makes it clear this is an act that is between God and the believer in Jesus Christ. And we do communion because it's really an invitation that Christ gave when He initiated and instituted His Last Supper, His communion. And in doing this, Jesus invited us to become one with Him. He invited us into a personal relationship through His death and through His resurrection. And so communion is a beautiful thing. And we do it as an act of obedience because God's words commands us to do it. And we do it to remember what Christ has done for us. And it's amazing as we've been going through these verses in John 10, we saw how we are His sheep. We belong to Christ. We're part of His flock, part of His family. And as we read those verses, and I'm going to reread them because these verses should spark such joy in our hearts. And this is what we're called to remember as well as we partake in communion. We remember Christ's death and His resurrection, but remember what He's done for us. And so in John chapter 10, let's read verses 28 through 29. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is what we're remembering, that Christ died for us, that His sacrifice was enough, and now we're part of His family. We're part of His flock. We're His sheep. And He knows us, and He loves us, and He's given us eternal life. And Christ died for us to make us His. And if you're here today as a Christian, and you're struggling with your identity, struggling with your worth, be encouraged. You belong to Christ. Your worth was determined by how much Christ was willing to pay and He paid with His life. And Jesus said that you can't express love greater than this than to lay down your life for others. And this is what Christ has done for us. And so this is a reminder that we're His. And so as communion's being passed out, there's going to be a song that's played and I'd just like to take some time to just evaluate in your own heart. The Bible makes it clear that when we take communion, our hearts should be right before Him. So if there's any sin in your heart or in your life that you need to repent of, now's the time to do it. There's a relationship in your life. Maybe someone you need to forgive. Or maybe you need to be seeking forgiveness. We want to do this before we partake in communion. But don't get it twisted. Communion is not to keep us from Christ. right? We don't want sin to keep us from communion, I should say. We want to partake in this. We want to remember. We want to proclaim. And so if there's anything in your heart that has not been of Christ, just take this time And ask God to just search your heart and forgive and just get your heart ready. And then I'll come back up and we'll pray together. We'll read some scripture and we'll take it together. But I just encourage you, take this time now as communion is being passed out to just pray to yourselves. Just ask God to prepare your hearts.